Please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10. As I thought about this story, and we all, of course, know it as the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan, I wonder if Jesus were teaching this story today whether he would use a Palestinian. Because that's really who a Samaritan was in Jesus' day. It's just that kind of animosity that existed between the Jewish people in Jesus' day and the Jewish people of our day, even now in the midst of a war with Palestinians. It's, of course, a famous parable. And the message today, very simple, are you a good neighbor? Let's read one verse as we begin, and verse well, two verses, verses 36 and 37 of Luke chapter 10. And you may read them with me if you have your Bible available. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. And let's pray. So, Father, thank you for this very special day, special celebrations, special friends. But, Lord, you and your presence make this special every time we meet with the Word of God open. Lord, help us to focus in on you today and to see Jesus, even though there are signs and pictures around that we don't necessarily agree with. But, Lord, we're renting this space, and after we're leaving, another group is coming in, and these are their decorations, not ours. We're here to worship you in spirit and truth. And we pray, God, any evil or wicked demon spirit in this place, in the name of Jesus, we beg of you, Lord, to cause any wicked spirit to flee, because your word says that if we submit ourselves to you and resist the devil... He will flee from us. So we resist the devil. We resist all of his works of sin and death. And we thank you that you are the one who gives life. So bless this time and help us to focus in on your word this morning. And see Jesus, we pray, in your name. Amen. Okay, so this is one of the most famous parables today in our series of the parables of Jesus. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Are you a good neighbor? That's the question. Are you a good neighbor? Now that should be a piercing question to your soul. A challenging question to your heart. To each of us. This parable had its beginning when a lawyer, somebody who felt like he knew the Bible better than Jesus, comes and tempts Jesus with a question. That means he's putting Jesus to the test. He's not so much interested in an answer to the question as he is interested in making Jesus look ignorant in his question. So he asked Jesus, Master, that's a sarcastic word, that's what you call flattery, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Yet he asked the most important question that one could actually ask in this life. Everybody should ask this question. What shall I do, is the question. What shall I do to inherit 
eternal life. Now he asked it to test Jesus. This question was debated amongst the rabbis of Jesus' day. And he wasn't asking this question with sincerity. But I, I grant you, this is the one question we should all ask, not to debate and not to test, but in all sincerity, we should all ask, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Because this life, I know, is going to be over soon. Everybody ought to ask this question sincerely for their own soul's good. But sadly, most people don't even ask the question, whether in sincerity or a lack of sincerity. Most people don't even want to deal with this question. But it deserves our principal attention. Eternal life. Think of eternal. What is eternal life? When can you have eternal life? You can have eternal life now when you have Him, Jesus, who is the life. Jesus is life. Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have life. He that has the Son has life. And that life is eternal life. The life of Jesus in us. What is eternal life? Eternal life is a life, yes, of endless duration. When we think of eternal life, it's life that never ends. It's of endless duration. But eternal life is also a quality of life. It, throughout eternity that begins when? Now. That's why we say when you have Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And that's why we don't believe you can lose your salvation. Because if you could lose your salvation, you wouldn't have ta-da, eternal life. <laughs> you, wouldn't have had, you would only, only have had temporary life. When we, re, when we receive Jesus, we don't receive temporary life. We receive eternal life. And if it's eternal life, you can't lose something that's eternal. Well, we have eternal life starting now. We have peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. When? Now. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. When? Now. We can overcome the world by faith in Jesus Christ. When? Now. We have God's love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When? Now. We have joy unspeakable, full of glory. When? Now. Because we have eternal life. We have the Spirit of God in us. Think how Jesus answers this question. He doesn't give him the Romans road. <laughs> he says, well, he, he answers the question with a question. Because he knows he's really just tempting him. And it's not a sincere question. So he says, What's written in your law? How do you read your law? What do you think? He's saying, what do you think the law says about how you can inherit eternal life? And he answered, he answered, look what he answered in verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, around in there. And then he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus uh, 19, around in there. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 1918, thank you, Edwin. And what did Jesus say? 
Did he answer right? Yeah. Jesus said to him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Wow, now go now I do want you to go back. Go back to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. Jesus is answering this question of this lawyer who knew the Tanakh, the Hebrew scripture. He's answering him according to the literal scripture of what is written in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 18, Leviticus chapter 18 and verse number 5. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. And let me back up to verse 4. He says, you shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall Live in them. I am the Lord. So Jesus was answering based on that. If you do this perfectly, though, <laughs> okay, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, not for one day, not one day, not one week, not for even a month, but every day of your life, every week, every month, every year of your life, and at the end of your life, if you have loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and never done anything to offend Him or sin against God. Oh, and by the way, if you love your neighbor as yourself, not one day, not just one time, oh, I helped that person one time, I'm a good person. No, not just one time, not one day. How, how many days? Every day, every week, every month, every year of your life, your entire life. Here's what you, here is how you can work your way to heaven. Do you know you can work your way to heaven? You have to be absolutely perfect in loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself every day of your life without one failure. Then you can work your way to heaven. Jesus is trying to get this man to answer because he, he, knew, he knew he knew the answer, but he's trying to bring conviction to his heart because if anybody actually read that in honesty about their own condition, they would say, what? Oh, no, what if I haven't done that perfectly? Because I know, have you? Have you loved God perfectly every day, week, month, year? Oh, have you loved your neighbor? Have you always been really kind to your brother or your sister? Have you always honored your parents? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever said O-M-G and just let that slip out of your mouth? You weren't really talking to God or about God. You just used God's name in a vain kind of way. Have you ever had other idols? Have you ever coveted? You know, we could sin by just sitting there. You don't actually have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You could just covet something in your heart. And you're not happy with what you have or, or with what God has given others. So, guess what, guess what the law shows us we need when it says, this do and you shall live. <laughs> what, what is God really trying to do with the law? He's trying to, to convict His people that they haven't kept the law. Who, who do they need? 
They need a Savior. They need, the, they need a Savior who has kept the law perfectly. And that's why Jesus came. By the way, the answer to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's, you and I, we cannot work our way to heaven because all have sinned. We're sinners. But what can we do? As the jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, there is something you need to do. And that is, believe on the one who has kept the law perfectly. Who has loved God perfectly every day, week, month, and year of his life. Who loved his neighbor perfectly. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever done that. People say only good people go to heaven. That's true. And there's only one good. Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has ever walked this earth and worked his way into heaven. (laughs) And he didn't deserve to die. But guess what he did? That's why he died. To pay for our sin debt, because he had no sin for which to pay. And he took our sins in his body on the cross and bore the wrath of God for my sins. He took hell for me on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I am a sinner, undone, unclean, unworthy of eternal life. Jesus is the only one who's worthy of heaven. But when we believe in him, God looks at us in Jesus just as if I never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? That's the grace of God. That's the Christian message. That's the gospel, the essence of it. The substitutionary death of Christ, his bodily resurrection. So, the conversation continues. And notice what it says in verse 29. What does he want to do? What's his intention? Here Luke tells us, what's his intention? First his intention was to test and tempt Jesus. Now his real intention is to what? Justify himself. Make him, he wants to make himself look righteous as if he can work his way into heaven. And he asks a question. And, and I believe, as I put in your notes, and there is a little insert in your bulletin with the notes, this lawyer thinks, I got him now. Gotcha! You know, this is what you call the gotcha question. He, he you know... I, So who is my neighbor? You see, the the rabbis debated that too. Because in Israel at this time, you had Roman soldiers, you had a lot of people around the other nations of the world passing through, and and the Jewish people debated, well, who is my neighbor? And so he's he's thinking, Jesus isn't going to be able to answer this rightly. This is going to get him. I'm going to stump Jesus and make him look bad. He will not have an answer for this. <laughs> That's what he thinks. Not only does Jesus answer this question, he does answer the question, who is my neighbor? He answers the question, who's our neighbor? You know the answer, who's your neighbor? Everybody, not just the person next door, anybody. And we'll see that. Jesus answers the question, but he, he goes beyond answering the question is he turns the question around from just... Because the question he, this guy asked was to debate, was to argue, was to make his point, was to justify himself, and was to test and get Jesus stumped. 
Jesus is going to turn the question around when this man doesn't think Jesus will have an answer for him. Isn't it amazing? Jesus then gives us one of the most beloved parables of all time. Not only does I have an answer, he turns the question around and he asks a piercing question to his will, to his will, not just to his intellect. We can't live the Christian life just in our brains. We need to live out of our will, out of our our heart, our emotion. Yes, we're emotional, we're intellectual, but we have a will, volition. And this question that Jesus really going to turn the, the, the conversation to, he says, which is a neighbor? You go and do likewise. In other words, it's not just who your neighbor is. You know who your neighbor is. Are you a good neighbor? That question really challenges the will. Then that's something he, he that, that thought actually like, bless my heart. This guy thought he was going to trick Jesus. And, and Jesus actually gives, just think of it, this parable in response. And you think of the power of God's word, how the, the whole idea of Samaritan, you know, a good Samaritan is so embedded in our culture. Hospitals are named after this. All sorts of Christian ministries of mercy and kindness use this term, right? Good, I, I have a healthcare ministry. It's called Good Samaritan Ministries, you know? And it's you. I've been to hospitals, so Samaritan, Good Samaritan Hospital, and things like. So this has been so embedded in our culture, and it's only found in one place in the whole Word of God, and yet it's had this powerful impact on our culture. That shows you the absolute truth and power of the Word of God. It's the inspired Word of God. Never doubt the Bible. So. Jesus turns the question around from who is my neighbor to really are you a good neighbor? And this lawyer is kind of like a lot of us. Sometimes we would rather ask a question than meet a need. Sometimes we would rather debate theology and abstract ideas than love someone else in a concrete way. It's easier to debate theology than actually help somebody. And I know, I know that as a pastor. I like to debate theology or not debate, discuss and, and see you know, what you might think on theology. But we're here really to meet people's needs because this is a hurting world. So are you a good neighbor? That's the question I want to ask today. And I have a few points here about a good neighbor. So you can ask yourself if you're a good neighbor. A good neighbor, first of all, loves others with no name. You do not need to know the name of the person that you're helping. It says in verse number 30 that this man who was beat up, left by the side of the road, half dead, we don't even know his name. The Samaritan, from what we know, didn't go up to him and say to him, I'll help you, but first, do you have an ID? Where's your passport? Then I'll help you. No. He didn't ask for his ID. He didn't say, how much money do you have in the bank? And then I'll help you because this is going to cost my own resources and I want to make sure I get paid. No, he didn't ask about where he was from. He didn't ask about his job, his nationality, his religion, his skin color. He didn't look at his skin color and say, whoops, sorry, your skin color isn't my shade. Can't help. No. 
He didn't ask if he was from Brooklyn or the Bronx. He didn't say if you were Palestinian or Jewish. And this man has no name. Has anybody given you a hand just because you were a human being? They didn't ask you your name, where you were. They, you just needed some help at that moment, and somebody stopped and helped you. And, and they, it was a blessing to you. I remember when Debbie and I were moving. I told this story recently on the radio, but we were moving up uh, our things from South Carolina up to Connecticut, and we had borrowed a friend's car and little trailer. And, you know, I, I'm so for, you think I'm forgetful now. I've always been forgetful. Okay, It's not my age setting in, just to let you know. So we had stopped at my house, and I took the trailer off the hitch. And then when I put it back, I didn't actually clamp down on the hitch. Forgot that little point. <laughs> so we were driving up here. I think I was on 287, uh, right when you come across that, uh, the, the Mario Cuomo Bridge up there. And we were going, and it was, it's like a four-lane highway. And it was at rush hour, and we were, we were traveling along, and we hit a bump. And that trailer popped off the, the, the car, and it was it literally went past me. The trailer, I, I'm driving along, and the trailer, I'm like, ah, no! I thought somebody was going to get hit it. I thought for sure somebody was going to get killed. I was horrified. I was so scared at that moment. As this trailer's like going, oh, my God, no, please, Lord. And then it went in front of me, and, and I started slowing down. I went into the... To the uh, the, meat, the, the lane on the side, and the trailer literally went off the highway and onto the side, and it just stopped right there. So, oh. And so then I pull up to the, I pull the car up to the trailer, and right away, three or four people stopped. I didn't know who they were. They didn't ask me who I was. They're here. They're like, here, let me give you a hand. I'll put the trailer back on the car for you. And boom, boom, boom. They gave me. I was so thankful. I didn't ask. I didn't wave anybody down. Help me, help me. I'm just a dummy out here. I don't know what I'm doing, you know. Uh, no, they, they gave me a hand. And then put me, and I, I somehow um, I opened up the back door. I don't know why I opened up the back, but I opened up the back door and then I'm on the road. And now I'm driving along, and people are like bonking at me while we're driving. They're like bonk, bonk. They're like, look at your. I, I had opened up the back door and forgot to close it, you know. So <laughs> you would think I would have learned after all that. Anyway, love others. <laughs> Sometimes you got to laugh at yourself, don't you? Here's the point of this story if you have a heart for God, you will have a heart for people in need if you have a heart for God you'll have a heart for people in need now you you all heard the little jingle of State Farm insurance like a good neighbor what is it State Farm is as long as you pay your premium they'll be there as long as when they look on their computer screen of customers and your name is on their screen and your premium is paid up they'll be there but they're going to ask you your name. But we're, to, we're supposed to be neighbors to other people and their name and where they're from and their background and their culture and their national origin, their language. It really should not matter, God. And, and, and here's the point. Have you been a perfect neighbor your whole life? I mean, right there, I'm convicted. We have not been this kind of neighbor to, to everyone else. We need Jesus 
to give us this love. To have a heart for God that we might love God first so that we will have a heart for people in need. Secondly, a good neighbor loves others in desperate need. So think of this man, this certain man. Again, no name is given. We don't even know his background. We assume him to be Jewish, though, because he went down from Jerusalem. And so then it says that this man, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves. He was stripped of his clothes. He was wounded. And then the thieves left him, and they left him half dead. This guy was not attractive to look at. He was bloody. He was bleeding. He could be a health hazard to somebody who would touch him, perhaps. And you've heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves. What if somebody can't help themselves? That's not a Bible principle, actually. God helps those who trust fully in His grace and those who believe in Him. But this man could not help himself. He needed help. He was in a desperate situation. The Good Samaritan didn't come alongside him and say, can you help yourself? you got to get up. If you could get up and stand, then I'll help you. No, he was in a desperate situation. And the reality is we are living in a world of, of war and affliction. And many people, listen, many people suffer through no fault of their own. The Good Samaritan didn't look down at this man, look down at his nose and say, well, you're just reaping what you sowed. You must have done some bad sins to end up like... No. We can't judge people. This world is a world of affliction. And sometimes those, in a sense, who have done nothing to experience the tragedy that they are experiencing, are do so experience it. Children are beaten by drunken fathers. Mothers who love their children, their children are sometimes shot and killed. And people suffer affliction in this world caused because we're living in a wicked world. And sometimes wickedness happens and man is often man's worst enemy. We see it in the world every day. What a terrible world. This is a terrible life in some kind of ways. It's a beautiful world. But filled with war and bloodshed, there's a lot of tragedy. So we need to love others because we will come along others in desperate need. And we need to just be there to help. I remember, and have you ever helped somebody who just, they were crying out for help? You were doing something, you were in the middle of whatever, and somebody just needed help at that moment, and you just had to drop everything? And it hasn't happened to me like a many, many times in my life, but I remember a few years ago, we had a, a single woman living across the street and a sweet black lady, and we got to know her a little bit. I cannot remember her name because she lived there now probably 15 years ago, but one day I just heard her, I heard some screaming, and I believe I was in my house, but I heard screaming, and I, I looked out my front door, and there was kind of like a concrete uh, brick pillar here and then she had a driveway and I think she had either tried to back her car in or out 
I don't know what direction she was going, but her door had been open, and somehow she got jammed between this concrete pillar and the door, and she was literally being, she was literally trapped by the door of her car because of the pressure of this concrete pillar. It was really a weird thing. I don't know how she fully got into that situation, but she was stuck, and she couldn't move. And she, she could have been killed, literally it could have crushed her. And she was screaming for help. And so thankfully, I went over there, and I only felt sorry that I was the one there to help her, because I can sometimes make things worse, you know. But I did go over there, and I was able to help her and get out of that jam. How do you think that made me feel? How did, how did that make me feel, that I helped this lady in that really serious moment of her life that she thought she might die. Man, I, I felt very satisfied. At least I did something right today, you know. But we need to help people in desperate need. And you will feel so happy when you do, when we have those opportunities. We need to love others without, ex- without excuse. So this, this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was famous in Jesus' day. It was called the way of blood, the the bloody pass. It was a descent because from Jerusalem down to Jericho, you're going down about 4,000 feet. Jerusalem is uh, on a mountain and Jericho is at one of the lower points of the the whole world. (coughs) So within 17 miles... You go down about 4,000 uh, feet in, in space, if you will, and, and going down into the city. So that's why it says he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this was a very dangerous pass in Jesus' day. Thieves would lurk. Criminals would hide. And many times people would just jump out and then they would rob their victims. So it was dangerous. So as this man was now laying half dead on the side of the road, who by chance walks by? Religious people. Oh, this guy, just his lucky day. He's in a bad situation, and here comes the priest coming down from Jerusalem, just fulfilled his spiritual duties. I mean, what a... What a, God has just orchestrated this so that this man half dead on the side of the road, could have somebody come alongside him and care for him. But no, you know what happens. Look what it says. And and you should make a mark of this. It says the priest, in verse 31, saw him. And what did he do in verse 31? He passed by on the other. He, He didn't even get near him. It was too dangerous. Maybe he didn't want to get unclean. Maybe it was ceremonial. You know, I don't know. We make all kinds of guesses there. But I believe, bottom line, he didn't want to risk the danger that the thieves were still lurking. A person, I think that's one of the most basic reasons why they pass by. And then it says in verse 32, a Levite, also of the priestly tribe. And he came to the place and notice he looked. So verse 31, he saw... And verse 32, in our King James, it says he looked. It's actually the same original language word. He looked, and he, he did what? He did the exact same thing. He what? Passed by on the other side. And then next, we see the third time a Samaritan came, and look what? It says he saw 
So mark that in 33. He saw. Verse 32, he looked. Verse 31, he saw. Three times. All three people, and it's the same original language word as well in those three, three verses, they all saw the exact same thing. But only one was there to help. We need to love other people without excuses when they're in need. And what is Jesus saying here? How can religious people, how can we get if we're not careful? Let's face it, we're in church on a Sunday morning in the middle of Greenwich Village. You know what? You're religious. (laughs) In In that you believe we should worship God. You believe that God should be honored. We believe God should be honored and loved and worshiped publicly. We're here, yes. But what can we also have the tendency to do? Think we're better than others? Be cold-hearted toward those who are in need and pass by on the other side of the road and just ignore the afflictions of people. Have you ever done that? Especially in our city, it seems that there's so much affliction. Don't have a cold heart towards those who are experiencing such affliction. Martin Luther King, of course, the one who helped bring about civil rights and the the passing of civil rights legislation in our nation. He preached a sermon on this Good Samaritan. And he put it this way. Martin Luther King said, the priest could have, it would have been natural for the priest to ask, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? That's the natural question. If I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? And then Martin Luther King said, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. And he said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And that's how we often look at things. What will happen to me if I do this? But what will happen to him? And we need to show mercy because that's what Jesus showed to us. So I challenge you today, do not ask what will happen to me. If you help somebody in need, but what will happen to them? Don't ask what will happen to my security status or position, but what will happen to them if you don't help? And there's many excuses, and I won't take a long time to explain these, but we could say it's not convenient, I'm too busy, and it's hopeless. What good will it do? What what good will it do? What will happen to this city? What will happen? What what will happen to me if I stand there and pass out tracks? What will people think of me? If I stand in Grand Central Station and pass out tracks, they'll think, what a loser. That guy should get a real job. That's what people have told me. He should get a real job. Or sometimes they don't say anything. Some people, but it's not about what will they think about me. I, I don't care. But what will happen to them if they don't hear the gospel? I, do, I want people to be saved and have eternal life. And... I do believe God will use that printed page. I know He has in the past, and I know He can in the future. So it gets back to this question. Do you have a heart for God? We need to have a heart for God, and if we do, we will have a heart for people in need. So this Good Samaritan is the ultimate good neighbor. He loves others with no name. He loves others in desperate need. He loves others without excuse, and he loves those outside his camp. He is a Samaritan. And it does appear from the context with Jesus telling the story to this religious 
lawyer that the man who had been beaten on the side of the road was Jewish. Now this Samaritan easily could have said, if that was me there, I'm going to do unto others as they would do to me. And the Samaritan could have reasoned, I'm going to treat him the way he would treat me. And I know if I were laying there half dead, that Jewish guy right there, he wouldn't help me, so I'm not going to help him. That's how we often look at things. But what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say we treat others as I think they would treat me? That's not what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You should, well, let's all go there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. What does the Bible say? And we call this what? What do we call this? The golden rule. This fulfills all the law and the prophets. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. This is the law and the prophets. In other words, whatever ye would will that men should do to you. How do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated? You know how to treat somebody right because you know how somebody should treat you. Right? <laughs> treat with respect, with dignity, with honor, with love, kindness, friendliness. That's how we want to be treated. Well, do unto others as you would have them to do to you. Not don't do unto others as you think what they would do to you. No, that means if we live that way, what kind of life are we living? If we live the life like, I'll treat you in such a way the, the way that I know you would treat me, what kind of life would we be living? A life of a what? A judge. We'd just be judging other people, judging them on how we think they'll treat us. We don't live that way. We're not to live that way. We're to treat and love others as we would have them do to us. Love others outside your group and then love others right where they are. Verse 33, a certain Samaritan outside his group as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion on him. That word compassion and I have it up there. I, we looked at that word in the parable of the forgiving servant. And I love that word. It looks like spaghetti. It begins with an S and it ends and it ends with an I. It's got like 14 letters in there. You can double check me if I'm wrong. But, but splanknizomai. I just love Greek words. And it's the idea of, and it's often used of Jesus. Remember when he saw the leper? It says he was moved with compassion. Remember the multitudes who had no food? It says he was moved with compassion. And when he saw the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion. The moral, spiritual equivalent of a physical cardiac arrest. His inners were moved and stirred with love to do something. When you have this kind of compassion, you must act. There must be action. And he loves right where this man is. He went to him right, it says, he came where he was. That's, that's how we have to do. We have to go where people are because they can't move to where we are. He, he couldn't be on the other side of the road. He's like, hey, listen, I know there's thieves right over there. 
there's a gully right there, right where you're laying. And I know the thieves could be in that gully. If I come over and help you, then those thieves might come out of the gully. Just come, if you can come over here on my side of the road, then I'll help you out. The other guys went on the other side of the road. There must have been a reason for that. Because his side of the road might look, might have looked dangerous. But this Samaritan went right where he was. So really, you know, this, what a practical lesson. Who is there in your life right now who's in affliction and trouble? And you've got to inconvenience yourself. Maybe put yourself in a, in a bit of a risky situation. But they need help. And you're the person. You are the person that's there to help them. Do it. Love others right where they are. Unconditionally. And then this is the last thing here. And, but the sermon's not over. I'll be done in just a few minutes. Stick with me because we got the best part as we conclude. But he loves others by giving to their need. He sacrificed, he, he, he sacrificed clothing. It says he bound it up his wounds. He had some kind of fabric. Maybe he ripped. Maybe he ripped some of his own clothes to bind up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. Those were expensive commodities in Jesus' day. And I guess you could spiritualize those if you want. You know, spiritually we need to help people and give them the Holy Spirit, tell them of the blood of Jesus. We could spiritualize it. But the point is he made sacrifice of money, of time, and possessions. He was not giving to get. He gave abundantly. He gave unexpectedly. He didn't start it. This Samaritan did not start his journey thinking, I'm going to give away my oil and wine on this trip. <laughs> he gave unexpectedly. So then Jesus concludes the story and he asks the final question in verse number 36. And he's going to, this is the real gotcha question. Who was the neighbor? Of the three, between the priest, Levite, and Samaritan, who was the neighbor? The real neighbor to this man who fell among the thieves. And the, and the man, I'm sure he had to put his head down. He says, the one who showed mercy. And then, go and do thou likewise. Are you a good neighbor? Jesus turns this parable around. A more important question then who is my neighbor, which is every person, because we're all equal image bearers of God. You know, if we could just apply our Christianity to our, all of our human relationships, this culture is so divided, our world is so divided, you know, in war, and even here in New York, you know, people are protesting, and, and it's so sad. War is sad. You know, people die in war, and... When any soul dies, that's an eternal soul made in the image of God. And the Palestinian soul is of much value to God as the Jewish soul. And the Ukrainian soul is of much value to God as the Russian soul. And we're living in just a complicated, sinful world with so much affliction. But, but as Christians, we have to see every soul as somebody... You're, you're equal to me. We're equal. You're an image bearer of God. You bear the image of God as much as I do. Now, so I, I, 
I, I hope you wouldn't just come up to me and, you know, smack me in the face. And you don't, thank you very much. But I won't do that to you either. You know, we need to love each other and care for each other. In Jesus' name. So are you a good neighbor? It's not an intellectual exercise, but a volitional challenge. Are you being a good neighbor to other people? Are you loving others by giving to their need? Are you loving others right where they are? Are you loving others who are outside your little group? Are you loving others without any excuse and desperate need and even if you don't know their name? Why should you do it? Because Jesus did for us. So as I close, I want to just say four simple things about the ultimate, consummate, good neighbor, Jesus Christ. So think of Jesus. He came to us not when we were half dead, but when we were what? Totally and completely dead in our sins. So we were worse off. We were worse off than this man by the side of the road. Jesus came. He came to us. And guess what happened to him when he did come? They took him. They beat him. They killed him. When he came. So the very reason the priest and Levite may, may not have wanted to go and help that Samaritan, Jesus came and helped us in our condition. And when he came to help us, they did take him. He put his life in danger. Jesus put his life in danger to help you out of your sin. To die on the cross. And the second thing we could say about this, Jesus, the consummate, ultimate good neighbor, is he came when we were fully responsible for our condition. Now this man beaten in the story, I, I made the point earlier, it was under no fault of his own. It was just a bad situation. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, like they say. But Jesus came to us. We were in a condition that we, in which we were fully responsible and that we need to own. And yet he freely, willingly died for our sins. Third, we could say that whereas the Good Samaritan... Imagine if the Good Samaritan came and helped the guy. And he said, I don't want your help. You're a Samaritan. Don't touch me. He didn't... The, the man half dead at the side of the road did not fight the help that the Samaritan offered him. But Jesus Christ came down and we resisted his love. We've resisted. Some of you even right now. Jesus loves you. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. And yet you're resisting him. You won't come to him. You won't call upon him. You're fighting him. You love the things of this world. Jesus came to us even though we fight against His amazing grace to deliver us. And lastly, Jesus did not just give some cloth to bind up our wounds and pour in oil and wine, but He poured in the true wine, the wine of His precious blood to cleanse us of sin. He poured into us the Holy Spirit of God that we might stand and walk in the Spirit and have... And have love and joy and peace. We can have love and joy and peace in a world that is so wretched and so full of sorrow. We could still have joy and peace in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave His blood. Jesus gave His very life to cleanse us from our sins. He didn't give mere material things. So, I ask you this question and I will be done. 
if Jesus did all this for us, the least I can do is love him and live for him and be a good neighbor to all the other people of the world that he has created. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, help us to be a good neighbor to all your image bearers. We know that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sins, that cleanses our conscience from even the guilt, the sorrow, those things that we have a hard time letting go. He cleanses us. Thank you, Jesus. You cleanse us of all our deep regrets in life. You cleanse us of our bitterness. You cleanse us of our hatred. You can cleanse us of our jealousy. You can cleanse us, Lord, of our lying. You can cleanse us of our, of our stealing. You can cleanse us of our lust. Oh, God, in this day and age, lust has destroyed so many through the computer. Give us grace to overcome. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us and rose again. And the least we can do is love you and live for you and love our neighbor as ourselves. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And is there anyone here who'd say today, Pastor Matt, I need eternal life. I know that I cannot work my way to heaven, but through Jesus Christ, Jesus, I will believe in him and he is good enough to get me to heaven. And I need Jesus to save me because he died for me and was buried and rose again from the dead. I cannot save myself. I need a savior because I'm a sinner. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need Jesus today to save me from my sin. Is there anyone that I can pray for you? I'd just like to pray for you. How many would say, Pastor Matt, may God help me to be a better neighbor because I see in my life where I've not always been. I've been more self-centered, focused on my own afflictions and not seen the needs of others. It's like the old saying goes, I complained about my worn out shoes until I saw a man with no feet. And there's plenty of people in desperate situations around you. And how many would say, Pastor Matt, just pray God has spoken to my heart in one area or another to be a good neighbor. Can I see your hand today? Just put it up to the Lord. Praise God. Many hands. All of us, I'm sure. Lord, help us to be a good neighbor. Because Lord, one day we're going to be in heaven with you and live endlessly in your kingdom, shining as light, shining like the stars of the sky. But right now, Lord, we're here in this flesh and we are weak, but you are strong. Fill us with your spirit and give us love for each other. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for my sin of not being a better neighbor and one to show love and care for those around me, Lord. Help us to love others, no matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak, whether they're here documented or undocumented. Lord, whether they're in our group or not, whether they're some other religion, it doesn't matter. Help us to love and show kindness to all people. 
even in our city that needs so much love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.